Hey, Epic, how's everybody today? You doing good? All right. Thanks for being at church on this um, first Sunday of September. Can you believe it's already September? If you're watching online today, um, thanks for tuning in. We love having guests. If this is your very first time with us, uh, we just want to say welcome to Epic Church, and we'd love an opportunity to meet you, put a name with a face, and uh, we just want to say thanks uh, for being here today, okay? Um, we are wrapping up our Philippian series. This series has been eight weeks long. It's been one of the longest series that we've done in a long, long time, but I don't know about you, but it's just been really great just to kind of walk systematically through the entire book um, of Philippians, and uh, there's just some amazing stuff um, that... Uh, we have learned over the past eight weeks, and I'm really excited just to kind of dive back in today. But like Tim said last week, we are going to land the plane on this series um, today, and we'll get to that um, in just a second, okay? So before we start, I want to ask you kind of a weird question, all right? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat, all right? So I got a couple images here for you. We're all real familiar with this. If you've shown up on campus over the last eight weeks or so, you know that before we can get into this facility, we have to take temperatures of everybody. And uh, so this is what we know as a, as a thermostat. And over the last several months, we've heard a lot about this in news me or a thermometer. Um, that we've heard a lot about this little device over the last um, few months. So I want us to consider this question today as Christ followers. Um, are we a thermometer? or are we a thermostat, okay? Let me explain to you what I'm talking about, okay? If I were to invite uh, you up on stage today and do like uh, uh, before you came in the building today, kind of point this at your forehead and register your temperature, the only thing that this device is able to do is react or register your temperature. It has no ability in and of itself uh, to change the temperature in your body level, does it? It simply reacts and registers what's already there. A thermostat, on the other hand, is kind of like the complete opposite of that, all right? A thermostat has the ability to recognize its surroundings and make adjustments as necessary so that the best outcome can be the result. Does that make sense? All right? Uh, this means yes. This means no. This means I don't know, Pastor, okay? All right, so... so, so this device simply reacts. You remember, I think it was about week two in this particular series where Trent talked to us about uh, uh, reacting versus responding and how sometimes as Christ followers, we tend to, to react or, or lash out without really taking a personal inventory of ourselves and really looking at uh, how that's going to affect other people. Well, that's kind of what these two devices are about. This particular device simply reacts reacts and has no ability in and of itself to make any difference in what it is that's registering. This device, on the other hand, can, can, can register and make adjustments so that the best outcome is, is possible. And I know you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Brian, what in the world does a thermometer and a thermostat have to do with the book of Philippians? All right, well, here's what I want us to dive into today, because here's what I really believe. Uh, we live in a culture and a society and a world today that desperately needs some thermostat 
Christians. We need some people who are, 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 are so connected to Jesus and grounded in our faith that not only are we willing to look at our own selves personally and make the adjustments that are necessary, but we're willing to allow what Jesus is doing in us and be bold enough or courageous enough to go out and live it out so that the best possible outcome can happen in the, in, in the sphere of influence that we have. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about some of the things that we've learned in this series. And, and, and like Tim said last week, uh, Philippians chapter four, kind of, uh, uh, we're going to land the plane today. But before we land the plane, I want to kind of do just a, a high level flyover of the landscape and look at some things that, that we've already learned. And here's what I want to submit to us today as we begin uh, uh, looking at wrapping up this Philippian series. The Apostle Paul, who was the guy that wrote this letter, remember, to the church in Philippi. He's what I call a thermostat Christian. He's one of those guys that when he met Jesus, allowed Jesus to radically transform and change his life. And from that moment on, you know, we talk about setting our thermostat, okay, so that so when we get back home, uh, it's comfortable and uh, it, it, it's something that we can enjoy. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he met Jesus, you know what he did? He set his life according to Jesus, and he set his heart and his mind on Jesus. And as a result, he was able to make adjustments in his own life as he experienced difficulties and trials and struggles. And we've we've recapped all of that already. But he was also able to initiate change in the places where he went as he went into communities, as he went into cities like Philippi, and as he planted local churches uh, that, that you and I can associate with. So what I want to do today is I want us to try to put our imaginary caps on today, uh, like we've been, been trying to do over the last eight weeks. And let's try to imagine that we are going to be the recipients of, of this letter. So what I want to do today is I want to I want to end where we're going to start. So I want to I want to read you a little commentary today. And as I read this commentary. I want you to try to imagine that all we know about the Apostle Paul to this point is that uh, he's been arrested, he's been beaten, and he's been put in jail in Rome because of his faith in Jesus. And we don't know much about his circumstance and situation, but we have heard that he's sending one of his co-laborers in the ministry, and chapter two tells us it's a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, okay? Anybody having a baby and you're looking for a name, there's one for you, okay? Um, uh, but he sends this guy, one of his servants, uh, one of his co-laborers in the ministry, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, to deliver this letter to the Christ followers and to the church in Philippi. So let's try to imagine, we don't know really what's going on with Paul. We know he's been arrested. We know he's in a Roman jail cell somewhere but that's really about all we know. But we've heard that there's this letter that's on its way from him and we're gathered with excitement. We're gathered with anticipation because we want to hear what the Apostle Paul wants us to know, not only about how he's doing, but about our relationship with Jesus and how we can 
live out our faith in a way that is, that is bold and courageous, okay? So I'm going to read you with that in mind. I want to read you this little commentary that I came across this week to kind of set this up, okay? This is written by a guy by the name of Paul Reese, and it's just a commentary on the book of Philippians in general, so just bear with me for just a second. Here's what he writes. He says, the greatest of humans, talking about the Apostle Paul, the greatest of humans has written his warmest letter. The love task is finished. The day is done. The chain is still there upon his apostolic wrist. The soldier beside him is still on guard, but never mind any of that because the apostle Paul is free. His mind is clear. His heart is glowing. And next, and the next day, Epaphroditus strides away with this letter to the Philippians. So even in the midst of the Apostle Paul's circumstances, here's what we've learned so far from the book of of, of Philippians. We've learned that even in the midst of his struggle and his his trial and his difficulty and his pain and his hurt and his anguish, he still has peace. He still, even though he is in bondage, he literally is free. And his spirit is well. And this is what we're going to learn as we kind of go back through uh, the book of Philippians. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us five uh, key phrases that we've learned over the last eight weeks. And I want us to look at these key phrases that the Apostle Paul has for us. Uh, and, uh, and then what I want to do is give us a principle that we can uh, kind of uh, learn to apply to our life. Because here's what I believe. If we really can grasp everything that we've learned in this series over the last eight weeks, we'll be able to go out into our community. We'll be able to go show up on our jobs. We'll be able to go back to our families. And we'll be able to be the thermostat Christians that Jesus wants us to be. And we'll be able to make a difference in other people's lives. So here's how we're going to do this, all right? We're just going to kind of walk back through from chapter one to chapter four. And I want to point out five particular phrases. And we're going to read them from scripture today. And then I'm going to give you a principle that goes along with that declaration that the Apostle Paul has given us. And then we're going to kind of uh, zero in on one final thought in the last part of chapter number four. And we're going to land the plane and uh, uh, we're going to go about our day. So if, if you're ready, say, uh-huh. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter one and verse number 21 is where we actually get the title of this series. And here's what the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter one and verse number 21. He said, for me, talking about himself to the church in Philippi, he said, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. What's the apostle Paul saying there? Here's what I think the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, for me, living is Christ. I think he's saying that that my life should be lived as a a reenactment, so to speak, of Jesus's life. And you and I, as Christ followers, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, 
Um, our lives should be lived as a, as a reenactment of Jesus' life. Because what the Apostle Paul says here is he says, uh, for me to live is Christ. In other words, I'm making it my goal, my priority, my aim in everything that I say, in everything that I do, in everywhere that I go to be like Jesus and to help point people to him. And as Christ followers, that should be our motivation. That should be our goal as well. Listen to what he says down there in verse number 27 of chapter number one. He says just one thing. Let me just kind of start off with this one thing that I want you to focus on. He says just one thing. What does he say? Live your life. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. He didn't say go to church in a manner worthy of being like Jesus. He didn't say read your Bible in a manner worthy of being like Jesus. He didn't say pray in a manner that's worthy of being like Jesus. He said, as you live your life every single day, live it in such a way that you have made Jesus the priority of your life in everything that you do, in everything that you say, in everywhere that you go. And if you'll do that, if, if you'll live as Christ, for me, living is Christ. He says, so we should live our lives as a reenactment of Jesus. Why does God want us to be like Jesus? Because he's the model. He's the one who went before us. He's the one who lived life perfectly. He's the one that died and was buried and resurrected so that we could have victory and freedom in our life, so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that, uh, so that we could be witnesses and testimony to anybody and everybody that we come in contact with. And Paul says, just, just as we begin, just this one thing that's really, really important. He said, for me to live is Christ. And if we make Christ our priority and we live out our faith, that's when we'll be able to be the kind of people that God's going to use to make a difference in other people's lives. And then in chapter two, in verse number five, he makes this statement. In verse number five of chapter two, he says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying to the church of Philippi there? What, what can we apply from that phrase? And we're going to unpack the rest of a few scriptures here in just a minute. But here's what I think the Apostle Paul would want us to get today is that my awareness of Jesus and his love for me and his presence in my life will always produce hope and humility. My awareness of Jesus's love and his presence in my life will always produce hope and humility. And then he starts into kind of this Old Testament prophecy dissertation about who Jesus really is. And listen to what he says in verse number six. And, and as I read through this, here's what I hope and pray will happen in your heart and your mind. I hope that, I hope that hope will well up within you. But I also hope at some level you'll realize that uh, Jesus kind of is worthy of our humility as well. Listen to what he says in verse number six. He says, who, talking about Jesus, existed in the form of God, 
did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. What's he saying there? He's just simply saying that Jesus is God, was God, always has been God, and always will be God, okay? Jesus is God in the flesh who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. That's literally a picture uh, of something being poured out of a pitcher or a jar, that Jesus emptied himself of his deity as God. He emptied himself and poured him out as as a slave or as a human born into the world. He says, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man in his external form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So when Paul says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, he's saying, you know what? We need to recognize and we need to have this awareness that God loved us so much that he was willing to step out of heaven and all of its glory to be born as a human being into this world, to live a perfect sinless life, to show us how to live and willingly and freely lay down his life on a cross so that any Anybody and everybody who would receive the eternal free gift of salvation could have forgiveness of their sins, could have meaning and purpose in life, and could have assurance of an eternal home in a perfect place called heaven forever and ever and ever. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I want in on some of that. And that, 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 that gives me hope no matter what it is that I face, but it also causes me to bow my knee to King Jesus because he emptied himself and he poured himself out and he willingly allowed himself to be crucified on an old rugged cross as a payment for my sins. And Paul says, your attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Then in chapter three and verse number 10, he kind of tells us what his focus and his priority in life is. And this is a great goal for us to, to work toward in our life. In Philippians chapter three and verse number 10, Paul says, my goal, my priority, uh, the thing that I strive for every single day, my goal is to know him. You know who the him is there? Jesus. My goal is to know Jesus. That word know there is the, is the same word that's used in the book of Genesis. After God created Adam and Eve, and he told them to, to be fruitful and to multiply. And after they were fruitful and multiplied, also known as had intimate relationships with each other and, and, and reproduced, the Bible says, and Adam knew Eve. And it's the same word. 
that the Apostle Paul is using in, in, in Philippians 3.10. And it's that, it's that close, personal, intimate relationship that Paul says, I want to have with Jesus. So here's the principle. Knowing Jesus is deeply personal and transforming in my life. Knowing Jesus is deeply personal and transforming. Because he goes on to say there, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. You see, you can't participate in the fellowship of Christ's suffering or, 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 or uh, be transformed by the power of his resurrection until you know him personally, until you have experienced him intimately. And Paul says, my priority is to know him. And then in chapter four and verse number four, uh, Tim did a great job last week at helping us understand this principle. Here's what Paul said in, 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 in chapter four, verse four. He said, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. In all circumstances. In every situation. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And, and the principle that we need to get here is that it is possible and that I can rejoice and have peace even when I can't control my circumstances. Remember Tim telling us that last week? Uh, I can rejoice and I can have peace even when I can't control my circumstances. And let's face it, there's a lot of things that we face in our life that we just can't control. But what Paul wants us to know, what Jesus wants us to know is that we can rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice and we can experience peace in the midst of our circumstances and our situation, even though we can't control them. How does that happen? Look at what he says in verse number five. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Remember that little, uh, that, uh, the, those principles that, that Tim taught us last week about how to go deep in our prayer life when it, when, when it comes to our prayers and our petition and, and our thanksgiving. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and... Here's the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought or all understanding, what will it do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's telling us when we rejoice, another way to, to, to say that is when we worship. In the midst of our circumstances and our situations. And church, let me just let you on a little bit of a, of a secret that I've learned in walking with Jesus. Um, when I get my eyes focused on my circumstance and my situation, you know what happens? That's when I stay defeated. It's when I stay discouraged. It's when I get lonely. It's when I get fearful. 
But when I get my eyes off of my circumstances and my situation, regardless of what I'm going through, and I get my focus and my perspective on where it should be, which is on Christ and Christ alone, that's when the circumstance and situations that I I find myself surrounded by just aren't really that big of a deal anymore. You know why? Because Jesus is bigger than my circumstances. And he will give us victory. Now, he might want to take us through it to teach us a thing or two. He might have us go through something so that we can learn something about ourselves or learn something about him. And, and that's just part of growth and maturity in, in our relationship with him because Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the bad news. But he didn't stop there. But he said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And Paul's saying in all circumstances, in everything that you face, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, if the Bible says it one time, that's really important. But if it duplicates it and it says it two or more times, we need to zero in on that and understand what it is that God wants us to get from this. And and, and what he's saying to us is we can rejoice. We can have peace even in the midst of the circumstances that we cannot control in our life. So let me ask you a couple questions real quick before we move on. Number one, do you know Jesus? Paul said, my, my, my priority is to know him. Do you know him? In a, I'm not talking about, do you know him here? Uh, we can walk around Palm Coast all day long today. We can go out to the beach today and we can stop and ask people, hey, do you know Jesus? And nine out of 10 of them will say, yeah, I know Jesus. And they'll start talking what they know about him. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, do you know him? I want to know him because he's the one who's transformed and changed my life. And I want to live the rest of my life every single day, getting to know him in a deeper, more intimate, more personal way. What Paul's saying there is it needs to go from here to here. I don't want to just have a head knowledge of Jesus. I just don't know what about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, can I just tell you, he's revealed himself in his word. And you can know him. You can have a relationship with him. He will help you navigate whatever it is that you're going through in your life. And he'll take you to a perfect place called heaven forever and ever and ever if you'll just ask him. You might say, well, Pastor Brian, that sounds too too good to be true. That sounds too simple. Listen, why would God want to make it hard? He loves us. It's the whole reason why he came to this earth. Why would he want to make it hard for us? And it's an attitude of our heart that says, God, I want to know you. I want to know Jesus. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you help me navigate my life and my circumstance and my situation? Would would you take me to be with you forever in a perfect place called heaven forever and ever and ever? If that's your prayer today, the Bible says you can be adopted into God's family and you can begin to know Jesus in a very real, in a very personal way. Second question I'll ask you is, when's the last time you rejoiced in the midst of your circumstance and situation? When's the last time that you just stopped and said, you know what, I can't control this, so God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my attention on you. I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna talk to you about it. I'm gonna give it to you. And then we come to chapter four and, and verse number 13. And I believe this is probably one of the most misused verses in all the Bible. 
Uh, it's probably very familiar. Matter of fact, maybe some of you, this is your life's verse. And, and if it is, that's okay. I'm not knocking that in any way, shape, or form. But I want us to look at this verse in context today and shed a little bit maybe of a different light than what we've all, always uh, maybe thought this verse to be. Matter of fact, if we were to, uh, to kind of have a, a bracket tournament today of some of the, uh, the most popular verses in all the Bible, this would be a top seed. Uh, maybe if you were to open up the yearbook of a high school graduate or a college graduate or something like that, or you were to read an essay about somebody who was writing out uh, what it is that kind of makes them tick, especially if they're a Christ follower, chances are you would see this verse, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a great verse. That's a powerful verse, but I think we misuse it sometimes because we don't understand the context with which Paul wrote it when he sent this letter to the church in Philippi. Let me, let me just read it to you out of Philippians chapter four, verse 13. It says, I, Paul says, I am able to do all things through him. That's Jesus who strengthens me. Let me tell you what this verse does not mean, okay? This verse does not mean that if Christ is with me, I will succeed at everything that I do. It does not mean that if Christ is with me, I will succeed at everything that I do. This is a little bit of a silly illustration, but it makes the point, okay? Um, if there was a thousand pound barbell right here on stage, like you see some of the Olympic uh, guys kind of uh, clean jerk and lift, you know, all these massive weights. If there was a thousand pound barbell right here, you know what? I could walk around this room all day long claiming I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can tattoo it on my forehead. I can write it in a Sharpie on that barbell and I can memorize that verse and I can quote it. And when I reach down to grab that barbell, you know what? I'm never going to lift it one centimeter. So it does not mean because Christ is with me or because I claim Christ is with me that I'm going to be successful at everything that I do. So let's read it in context to try to get a little bit of an understanding of what Paul wants us to know. So we've got to back up to verse number 10. Here's what he says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. Remember that guy by the name of Epaphroditus that I talked about at the beginning of our talk today? Uh, Paul, the, the church at Philippi had sent Paul a gift. And he says, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. He said, I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance that I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. And in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, in abundance or in need. Then he says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So what's the Apostle Paul saying there when he says that in verse number 13? Here's what I think the Apostle Paul is saying. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. And whether you have a lot or whether you have little, if you have Jesus, you have everything 
that you need. Paul was grateful for the gift that the church at Philippi sent him. But when he makes this statement in verse number 13, what he's basically saying is if you never sent me the gift, I'm still good. I'm okay. It's all right because I've got Jesus. I can have plenty or I can have nothing. And either way, Christ is all I need. Apostle Paul basically is saying, if I never get out of this Roman jail cell, if I never see the light of day, if, if for what I'm arrested for costs me my life and it eventually did, you know what he was, he's saying? I'm good. It's okay. Because I've got Jesus. So let me ask you a question today. What are your goals and your dreams in life? Think about that for just a second. Think about your, your family goals. Think about your friendship goals. Think about your financial goals. Maybe it's a vocational goal. Maybe there's a, a dream that some of you have to start your own business or to expand a business that you already own or to climb a little bit of a management or a corporate ladder, so to speak. What are the dreams and the goals that you have in your life? And then let me ask you to consider this question. Because of my relationship with Jesus, if I never achieve that financial goal, that friendship goal, that vocational goal, if I never achieve those goals, can you still say today, it's okay? Because I've got Jesus. And I've got everything that I need. So how are you in those areas of your life? What are you pursuing? What's most important? Paul would say, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, whether you achieve your dreams and your goals or whether you fall flat on your face, if you have Jesus, you have all that you need. Here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the culture and the world and society that we live in today, as jacked up as everything is right now, I'm convinced that God is desperately looking for some thermostat Christians who allow him to make the adjustments in our lives so that we can set ourselves on him, so that we can know him so that we can put our focus and our attention on him and then look at what's going on around us and go out and make an adjustment and make a difference that's the best possible outcome for his kingdom. In just a minute, I'm gonna um, ask Maddie and Matt and our musicians to come back on stage and um, they're going to lead us in a song that um, maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't. Um, at some level, you've probably heard the title of the song, and it's called It Is Well. And this is your time with God. This is your opportunity just to maybe kind of evaluate your life. Number one, if, if you don't know Jesus, this is your time to consider inviting him to be your Lord and be your Savior. And you can do that right there in the quietness of your seat. 
Um, maybe if you know Christ, this is your opportunity to consider, you know what? If I don't ever achieve the dreams and the goals that I have for my life, is it okay because I have Jesus? And I want to encourage you to lean into um, uh, the lyrics and the melody and the words of this song because it simply just talks about when the battle's raging and, and, and the storm's going on and there's all kind of obstacles and challenges in my life, at the end of the day, because of my relationship with Jesus, it is well. And it's okay because we've got him. Uh, I'm actually going to be right down front today during this last song. And I would love an opportunity to pray for you or with you. And I know that's not something that we normally do here at Epic Church, but I just feel like maybe somebody here today, you just need to say, Pastor Ryan, would you just pray for me about something? I'm going to be available during this last song. If that's you, I would just invite you to step out of your seat. And uh, let me just pray with you today. You don't have to bear your soul, uh, but I would love an opportunity to connect with you and to pray with you today before you leave. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. God, I come to you today and uh, Lord, thanks for your true word and the difference that it makes in our life. God, thanks for the Apostle Paul who lived a long, long time ago uh, and God made such a difference in, in other people's lives. And God, I can't wait to meet him in eternity one day uh, to learn uh, more about all he accomplished uh, in his life through you. And Lord, I don't know anybody's heart and life here today, but here's what I know. Uh, you are more than enough. And whatever the circumstance or situation is that people are facing today, Lord, can, uh, I pray that in the quietness of these next few moments, as we lean into the lyrics and the melody, the words of this song, that God, we would just experience a peace that passes all understanding like you talk about there in chapter number three. Lord, that can be only explained by your great presence in our life. Lord, maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made in our lives today that would be bold enough and courageous enough to listen to what you're saying to us. And God, just commit that to you. Maybe to confess it as sin, ask you to forgive us uh, and to lead us in a way that would honor and glorify you. So God, I pray you would accomplish what you want to accomplish um, in this place today as we sing and worship together. For it's all these things I pray and ask in your name. Amen.